0: Hey, friends, my name is Ryan Hughley. I'm lead pastor of Ridgeline Church in Salt Lake City, Utah, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. We're working to build a community position to experience God in daily life. Our weekly teaching is one piece of that work. So as you listen to this week's message, my prayer is that you would hear God inviting you to respond to His love and His desire for you. For more information, you can visit ridgeline.church. Glad that you're all here with us. Uh, We are in a series right now, if this is your first time joining us, called Positioned for Change. So what we're doing is we are looking at these three positions in life that we believe that God invites us to inhabit uh, in order to experience transforming relationship with him. And these three positions are weekly worship, which is what we do every time we gather together like this, formative friendship, which which is a distinctive type of friendship and what the Bible would call Christian fellowship, where we follow Jesus together. And then finally learning how to sit with God for ourselves and have an actual relationship with him. So we're really spending the fall uh, trying to go deeper and deeper into an understanding of these three positions and how we practice them uh, here at Ridgeline. So we spent the last few weeks talking about formative friendship. And this morning, uh, we're going to transition a little bit and begin to talk about weekly worship. What we're doing right here, specifically why it matters. And at the end of the service today, um, we're gonna have a time of text message Q&A. So if you've never been to Ridgeline before, that might be foreign to you, but there's gonna be a number uh, on each of the slides this morning. And if at any point uh, a question comes into your mind, uh, go ahead and text that in, and then I'll spend as much time as we can at the end of our service uh, answering those questions together. All right, so we're gonna dive into this topic of weekly worship, specifically a couple of weeks, probably three weeks, Specifically talking about why it's important for us to gather together like this. And the reason I think it's necessary for us to to take three full weeks to be reminded of why this is necessary for us is really for me birthed out of a a couple of growing concerns that I have pastorally, not just in our church, really for the church as a whole, uh, particularly uh, here in our context in the West. Uh, two concerns. The first concern is that uh, I'm concerned that we really don't value the gift of gathering together to worship, at least not to the extent that we probably should value it. And I think that that's evidenced uh, mainly by how lightly we take missing it for other things. Like, we've, we've kind of gotten to this place where, for many of us, the, if, 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 if something were to come up, and we're like, well, we'd have to miss church to go do that, we're like, who, who cares? It's fine, I and mean, we podcast, and we live stream, and does it really matter if we miss one? We just take it very, very lightly. The truth is, if we really saw the value of why this is so important for us to do this, then we would seize that opportunity at, 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 at every turn that we possibly could. Um, so by that, I mean we would, we would do this weekly. Again, we have specifically worded this position as weekly worship, um, sort of as like a reminder that you can come here more than once a month, too, <laughs> which is a lot of people's sort of rhythm. They're like, monthly worship's good for me. That'll do. Uh, but, but really, the pattern has, is supposed to be that we gather together like this every single Sunday in honor of Jesus' resurrection that first Sunday morning. And so if we really valued it, we would make this a weekly practice in our lives. Here's another one that'll make some of us uncomfortable. I think if we really valued it, we would also be, wait for it, on time. Now I know, let me just say, I love those of you who are chronically late. Okay, is that clear? You receive that? You believe, I hope you believe that to be true. And people who are chronically late are very sensitive about their lateness. There's always a reason, That should always explain why they're. I but I just I won't. You know I love you. If we really valued this, I believe we would be here on time for it. We still friends? I'm like two minutes in. It's probably going to get worse. Okay. In addition to that, I think that we would come alert and aware. I think we would come anxious for what it is that God wants to say to us today if we really believe that the spirit of God is in this place that he wants to speak and move and heal i think we'd be like come like i'm pumped to see what is it that god's going to do today i think if we really valued it we wouldn't prioritize powder days and mornings in the mountains over being here for 90 minutes as a family to sit in the presence of God together. So that's my first concern, that we just really don't value the gift that it is. We did in February when we'd been shut down and could only be on YouTube for like nine months. Man, everybody came in on time. People, some of you were early. Some of you that didn't even know that Sunday existed before 10 a.m. You were here at like 9.30, like It's so good to see people and we were excited. Everybody that was serving on Sunday was on time and pumped and now we wake up and we're like, whew, this again. And so we had this time when we lost it where we realized what a gift it is, but now it's become normative and I'm really concerned we don't value the gift that, 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 that this is. Now, my second one, I think that this has been this was true prior to COVID, but it's definitely been accentuated by COVID. And my second concern is that we, we are dangerously coming to this place. Where we see podcasts and live streams as equitable substitutes for being here in person. So if you are home this morning and watching the live stream and you're not sick, you just chose to stay home, this part's going to get awkward, okay? Let me just say, state that publicly. <clears throat> I think that we've gotten to this point where we, some of us got very familiar. Like, raise your hand if you just really struggled with, like, the YouTube worship thing through COVID, that it was real hard for you. Yeah. So here's what happened in every church in the world. YouTube numbers skyrocketed. The first two weeks of covid everybody was like all right we can still do this online and then after that everybody's numbers tanked not a single pastor was bragging about their youtube streams (laughs) after week two online because they were dismal because we all sat there after two weeks going this sucks this is not the same as being together in person but it is convenient and oftentimes we are prone to prioritize convenience over anything that would be annoying to us, including like putting on pants when we're tired. That there might just be like, maybe you had a late Saturday night. You're like, you know what? We don't need to go in person. We can just stay home. We can watch this on TV. It's the same thing. And I'm here to tell you, I love you. It's not the same thing. I'm thankful for technology. Apart from technology, I don't know how we would have survived COVID as a church family. So I'm thankful for it but it was just a necessary substitute. It's not an equitable one. I'll I'll give you like an example. Tammy and I, our our favorite uh, artist is Dermot Kennedy. I've probably talked about him in almost as many sermons as I've talked about Jesus. Uh, That's not true, it's a joke. Uh, But uh, we love Dermot Kennedy. We had tickets to go see him at this point like two years ago at Red Rocks in Colorado. We were so pumped about it. COVID hit, that show gets postponed which was a huge bummer. Um, But instead, Dermot did a couple of live streams during uh, like a lot of artists did during COVID. And so I remember one in particular, Tammy and I were sitting on the couch one night watching that just crying, just flushing all emotions while watching Dermot on the live stream. And it was great and I was super thankful for it. But a couple of months ago, we got to go to Red Rocks and sit in the center at the seventh row and experience him him live and in person. And I'm telling you, it was not the same as watching him in my sweats on the sofa. It was an objectively different experience. And so, while it might be convenient that when we are sick, we have the opportunity to be home and still get to watch what it is that's happening in the service, but it's not the same. And I think if we're really honest with ourselves, we would probably all agree with that. It's not the same watching a service in our living room, as it is being together in this place and in person. And so, I think the way that we, we come at this is not just, I, I want to I be clear at the outset, my goal for the next three weeks is not to like guilt you into being here more frequently. Because quite honestly, I don't think that will accomplish anything. But what I do want to do is I want to help raise our awareness regarding why this gathering matters. Because I think ultimately, the reason that we treat it lightly, the reason that we might see technology as an equitable substitute for it, is that we, it's just easy for us to forget why this is so important. It's easy for me, I don't say this like from some like platform above you as like, oh, I'm more spiritually elite than you, I never forget why Sunday matters. You know how many Sunday mornings I wake up going, oh my gosh, Sunday comes every week. It happens to me too and I mean unlike you I get paid to be here and there's still some Sunday mornings I wake up going Poof, this again and that happens when we forget why this matters and so what I want to do is I just want to spend the next three weeks looking at Hebrews chapter 10 just two verses in it if you have a Bible Or an app that you like to read on go to Hebrews chapter 10 I want to draw our attention to verses 24 and 25 together this morning Hebrews chapter 10 24 to 25 and I think that the writer of Hebrews who no one no one knows who the author of this book is for sure a lot of scholars have super strong opinions uh, about who it is but no one really knows for sure Um, but in these two verses, I think we get three reasons why it's important for us to gather together weekly like this. So this is really going to be one message in three parts over the next three weeks. But this first installment, I want to call Watch My Back. Okay? Title of the message this morning is Watch My Back. Uh, look at with me at Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verses 24 and 25. The writer of Hebrews says this. And let us watch out... For one another, to provoke love and good works. Listen to this, not neglecting to gather together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let me just read that again. I want that to sit on our hearts for the next couple of weeks. Let us watch out for one another, to provoke love and good works. Not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. So three reasons why it matters that we gather together like this. The first one is that we we gather together to protect one another. Secondly, we gather together to provoke one another to love and good works. And then thirdly, we gather together to encourage one another. And I want you to notice that all three of those things hinge on this little statement in the middle not neglecting to gather together. Do you know that for 2,000 years, gathering for worship weekly has been the very center of Christian life? This is not a new practice. Literally, from so the Jewish people had always gathered together for worship on the Sabbath in the synagogue or at the temple. And that first Easter morning, when it was reported that Jesus had risen from the dead, then followers of Jesus shifted their weekly worship from Sabbath on Saturday to Sunday morning in honor of the resurrection. And since that moment, followers of Jesus have been gathering together every Sunday morning to remember that Jesus rose from the dead and what that means for us. Now, the problem is we're seeing a significant decline in professing Christians prioritizing this time. There was a survey, it's actually a survey that has been done year after year after year for many, many years by faith communities today. Now most recently, that study has found that half of the country's congregations have experienced a 50% drop in weekend attendance since the year 2000. That's pre-COVID. So imagine where it's at now. There's not a single church I'm aware of that has been exempt from seeing a a steep decline post-COVID because new rhythms were set, because so many people truthfully lost their faith through COVID. And then we've kind of all settled in to these new rhythms. And again, for many of us, it's just become normative to like go to church if we have nothing else going on. But for 2000 years, this has served as the very center Of our experience of walking with Jesus together and so that decline is a really significant problem and so again today I want to just look at the first of these three reasons why this matters so much and and I'll just put it in our big idea so if you're taking notes this morning and you want want to write something down write this down number one weekly worship protects our faith one reason it's essential for us to make this weekly and regular in our life is that gathering together for worship protects our faith. I don't know that we always fully comprehend this or that we like keep it front of mind and hold on to it, but you know, we have, we have multiple forces in our lives seeking to destroy our faith. I think one of the great mistakes that we make is believing that we live in a world where everything is neutral. As if there are not multiple factors that are at war with our souls trying to destroy our faith, our peace, our joy, and the flourishing life that Jesus created us to experience. Over and over again, the scriptures use war as a metaphor for what is happening in this world and inside of our hearts. And Jesus actually, in Mark chapter 4, teaches this parable. I just want to read this to you. Uh, briefly this morning in Mark chapter 4 reads this parable that has come to be known as the parable of the sower this will be familiar to some of you but I want you to just listen to how Jesus says that there are factors at play in this world that are seeking to steal the work that he is doing inside of us listen to this Jesus is sitting at the Sea of Galilee there's people sitting around just like this And he starts out his teaching saying this in verse three, listen, consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and they devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. But when the sun came up, it was scorched since it had no root and it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns and the thorns came up and choked it and it didn't produce any fruit. But still the other seed fell on good ground, and it grew, producing fruit that increased 30, 60, and 100 times. And then he said, let anyone who has ears to hear, let them listen. And then, of course, his disciples were like, what? That was kind of their response to everything Jesus taught. It was just like, okay, can we do it one more time? And so then he sat patiently with them and walked them through the meaning of this parable. But as he does that, he starts to draw out all of these enemies and these factors at play in this world that are trying to destroy and to disrupt our faith he talks about satan that we have a real and i know that's not super passe in our culture to still believe in a negative spiritual force but the scriptures talk openly about the fact that we have a very real enemy spiritual enemy in this world that is bent on our destruction he talks about an immaturity that leaves us unprepared for distress and for persecution. He talks about worldly worries that so many of us live with, things like greed and the desires inside of us that are at war for things other than Jesus. More ancient Christians talked about how there were really three enemies of the soul, the devil, the world, and the flesh. Uh, John Mark Comer, uh, who is an author that many of us in our church really, really love, he has a great new book out called Live No Lies, and it's about these three enemies, and it's exceptional. And so if you want to dig deeper into this, uh, I would say it should be mandatory reading for all of us. It's very, very good. But but out of this comes this reminder that we don't live in a neutral world, that the devil, this culture that we find ourselves in, and even the woundedness and the brokenness and the sin inside of us is actively seeking to destroy us. And so one of the reasons that it is so critical that we gather together like this is that this gathering, whether we have thought about it this up until this point, uh, is, is, is secondary, but this gathering together, just this simple act of showing up here once a week, it, it, it serves... A critical protecting act in our relationship with Jesus. We gather for worship in order to watch out for one another. So we are like, we're like, like, think about there are certain types of animals that live in herds, right? Because they're vulnerable. And so I know that in our very politicized culture right now, one of the t-shirts and the slogans I keep seeing is is, uh, is lions not sheep. And I see, actually see a lot of Christians wearing shirts that say, like, I'm a lion, not a sheep, that kind of thing. And I understand the sentiment of that for sure. Like, we definitely should not be like these mindless cogs that just do everything that we're told and believe everything we're told. Like, I get all that. Um, the problem with that sentiment is that the number one metaphor scripture uses for followers of Jesus is sheep. <laughs> There's like a lot of Bible. Jesus is like, oh, hang, hang on one sec. There's, actually, you are sheep. I'm the lion of Judah, you're the sheep, okay? So I would just say, maybe think twice about that bumper sticker, because it's not biblical. <laughs> and I think, I think the reason that we, we don't love that is like, but I think even that is just this kind of small evidence of, of how easy it is for us to, to not think biblically. We think like, who wants to be a sheep? Have you ever, like sheep are, like they have this reputation for being dumb, which is actually, not entirely accurate. They're actually pretty intelligent, but they're definitely like no one's ever seen a sheep and been like, ah, because they are the least intimidating, (laughs) most vulnerable animal on the planet. They live in herds because apart from the herd, the sheep die. Like that's the way predators kill sheep is they isolate one or they find a wounded one that can't keep up with the herd and they kill it. And I love you and you and I are sheep. And we are vulnerable when we are isolated and alone. And it is one of the reasons that COVID has been so destructive to so many people's faith, because it forced us to be isolated and alone, making us vulnerable to these enemies that are at war within us. And so we gather together like this every single week for our protection. And so I made this brief list of five ways. I could, we could probably come up with more, but I don't think you probably want to be here all day. So, just five ways that I see that, that gathering together like this, that weekly worship really does protect us, okay? Some of you love lists and to write things down, so this is going to be your day. I'm going to give you five, five things to write down. You excited? Good. Yeah, that one nerd is excited. All right, here we go. Five ways weekly worship protects us here's number one number one we aspire to deeper surrender through song we aspire to deeper surrender through song now i wonder if you pay very close attention to the words that we actually sing right like think about some of the things that we sing when we come together for worship like this what, what, what you see when you really pay attention is that worship is primarily aspirational. Meaning, when we sing, we are singing about what we want to be true, but often is not. Does that make sense? And this is why uh, A.W. Tozer said, uh, Christians don't tell lies, they go to church and they sing them. Because so much of what we say when, that we, through our songs is not actually true of us. Now here's, and far be it from me to disagree with A.W. Tozer, but I do think that that does not mean that there is something wrong. Now it would be wrong if we come here and we sing these words and in our hearts, we're like, yep, I'm not doing that. That'd be a real serious disconnect. But when we come together like this and our worship is aspirational, meaning God, I want this to be true. That's prayer, and that's good. And so one of the ways that it protects us is we come together and we sing these songs that contain these words and these sentiments that we want to be true but are not yet, and we sing them as prayer, saying, Lord, make this true for me. And that act does protect us. Imagine if we only came and sang what was true in the moment. I mean, our church is already sad like 90% of the time. We would just be like, we should shut the doors. Nobody wants to sing the song, I barely believe in you today, okay? (laughs) No one's pumped, Jesus, I love everything more than I love you, is not going to be in the top 10 on any worship charts anytime soon. We come together, and through our songs, we aspire to deeper surrender. And that protects us and positions our hearts to actually experience that. So that's number one. Number two, the second way that weekly worship protects is we learn to live the way of Jesus through teaching. We learn to live the way of Jesus through teaching like this. In Matthew chapter 28, right at the end, just after his resurrection, Jesus gathers together his disciples for what has become this passage that is commonly called the Great Commission, where Jesus essentially Sets the mission for the church moving forward. It's still the mission that we're after today. So he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go into all of the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then secondly, he says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. So what is so critical for us to understand about that is that that to be a disciple of Jesus, which if if you're a Christian, really what you are is a disciple of Jesus. To be a disciple, that word means to be a learner, to be a student, or to be an apprentice. And so we Our our, our posture as disciples of Jesus is we, we are learners. We are constantly trying to learn. How does Jesus think? How does Jesus feel? What is Jesus' attitude? What is Jesus' behavior? And how do we conform our lives to the pattern that we see in the life of Jesus? That's the way of Jesus. That's how the earliest Christians followed him. That's how we're to follow him today. And we need to be taught how to do that. And I believe that we drastically underestimate how much we are all formed by social media, that we are formed by the news sources that we consume, that we are formed by the surrounding culture that we find ourselves in. Those are the things primarily, if you think about, like, compare, raise your hand if you have an iPhone. Okay, you don't have to be ashamed of it, like loud and proud. If I said, do you have an Android, then I would have been like, mm, I don't. I'm just kidding. I wanna see how many people I can offend in one morning and I feel like I'm hitting it out of the park today. <laughs> so, you know, you, uh, I, think it's on, I think it's on Sunday for everybody, but you get your like screen time report, like what's your average, that's maybe the most depressing point in my week every week is to see you've averaged 92 hours a day on your phone. Okay, it doesn't feel good when that report comes in. But here's here, this will make you go, and kind of groan a little bit. I want you, the next time that pops up, maybe it did today, or you can go check it later today, compare the average amount of time that you spend on your phone to the average amount of time you spend in the scriptures. And then try to tell me that we are not being more formed by our phones than we are the Bible. There's just no way around it. Social media, news, all of this culture that we just consume, 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 and we don't think that that is shaping the way that we think, that it is shaping the way that we feel. It's shaping everything in us. And so one of the reasons it is so important for us to come together like this is, my goodness, we need, like, a 30 or 40 minute fire hose of something besides that. Because the biggest problem is how blind we are so much of the time to the extent to which we are being formed by things other than Jesus. And so one of the ways that this protects us every single week is we are learning to live the way of Jesus together through teaching. Thirdly, We experience a unique expression of God's presence when we are together like this. We experience a unique expression of God's presence. Now, super important theological point that every follower of Jesus must understand. There is nowhere you go that God is not. Do you believe that? Okay, it's a good thing that we're starting here then because only two of us. When you leave this room... And you get in your car, God is there to the same extent that he is here. And when you get home, wherever that is, God is there to the same extent that he is here. And when you go to work or to school tomorrow, God is there to the same extent that he is here. There is nowhere we go that God is not. And God is not more present in certain places than other. But what I would say is that we have a lot of biblical evidence and a ton of church history and a lot of personal experience that would tell us that God reveals himself differently in different places. And so when we come together like this, if you ever wonder, like, you know how many Sundays I see people walking in here just so sad sack, like barely hanging on? And I love that. This is a place it's okay to not be okay. We come here every Sunday open about where we are wounded and broken. Amen? So every Sunday, people come in and they are like barely here. And they walk out looking about a million times lighter. More encouraged, more inspired, more filled with hope. Do you know why that is? Because the presence of God is here in a unique way, and we experience it when we gather together. And it's not the same when you are listening to the podcast. So it matters that we are here in person. It matters that we experience this unique expression of God's presence in person. That matters for you. I haven't said this, but let me just state this publicly. Do you know that not one time in the history of Ridgeline have we counted the attendance? Do you know primarily why that is? Because I don't care. Truly, I just don't care. Maybe there's 100, maybe there's 40, maybe there's 50. I don't care. I don't know what our record Sunday has been. It's not today, I don't think, but. (laughs) We've never taken the attendance, don't care. It's not, it's not like the most important marker for me. I'm not gonna be driven by like, all right, I'm of value and doing a good job if there's 200 people, but I suck at everything if there's only 100. I'm not gonna live on that treadmill. We should not live on that treadmill. But it does matter. That we are here, in, like I'm not saying it because I'm trying to increase the attendance so that I can feel better about it. It's not, it's not like some people go, oh, you just want people to give more money. Not really. I mean, 99% of our giving happens on the internet. So that happens whether or not you're here in person. It's not a giving thing. It's not about us trying to increase our attendance for the sake of increasing numbers. It's because I want you to experience the presence of God in the unique way that you only experience him when we are together. That matters to me. And I want that to matter to you. So we experience protection by gathering together and experiencing this unique expression of God's presence when we are together in person. Fourthly, we combat doubt by hearing of God's work in others. We combat doubt by hearing of God's work in others. Now, I don't know if you've notice this I, my guess is that that all of us have we often lack awareness of god's movement in our lives right we often lack awareness that god is moving in our lives if i were to bring you all up here one one by one and go i want you to tell me about how god is moving in your life right now most of us would be like i'm never coming to this church again this is my last sunday And it's not just because we fear public speaking, it's because most of us don't know. We just don't know. We don't know how God's moving in us. We don't live reflective lives for the most part. We've not been taught and trained how to to sense and track the movement of God in our lives. And so we're like, "I, I don't know. And when we are uncertain of his movement in our lives, sometimes we wonder, is he moving in my life? Is he doing anything? I think that goes on long enough and we start to wonder like I don't I don't even know if he's real. I wonder if you've had moments like that over the last 2 years. I have. Where I've gone like is this is this real? Is he real? Is he moving? Is he doing anything? Does he care? all of those are questions of doubt and they're not bad contrary to most christian teaching they're not bad historically doubt has not been seen as a bad thing in the life of of a christian doubt is a space and an opportunity that god wants to invade to take us to a deeper place of trust but oftentimes when we're unaware of how he's moving we're not really sure that he is And so when Kamala comes up here, and she gives her altar and shares her story of how God is moving in her life, we get to hear that story, and we go, I knew it. (laughs) I'm not sure what he's doing in me, but he's working in her. I love that. One of these days, I'm going to become aware of what he's doing in me. And that's the whole point of wanting to do these altars week after week after week. Every single week, I want you to hear of how God's working in the life of someone in our church, because it combats our doubt. This is a place, we are a people whose presence in which God is moving. And when we share those stories, when we're here together and we get to hear those, it combats our doubt. You guys got time for one more? I mean, you can leave, I'm going to do it. But (laughs) it's going to be awkward when you just walk out in the middle, all right? Number five, last one. We see the community we're a part of. We see the community we're a part of. This this was the challenge of online worship for so many of us. Maybe on Sunday morning, you were super devout and you popped up YouTube when that went live and you saw my sad, lonely face at the ministry center by myself teaching my phone. My phone is an amazing disciple of Jesus at this point. And 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 I just have to think that you sat there watching that, going, is anyone else a part of our church anymore? Because you you couldn't see each other. And I think all of I mean we we live in the least in the city with the least number of Bible believing Christian churches in America. Do you know that? Less than two percent of our population attends a Bible believing church on Sunday morning in our city. This is an isolating place to live. It's easy to feel like, I think I'm the only Christian in Salt Lake City. <laughs> Have you had that before where you're like out and about and you're like, I, I think I'm, did I miss the rapture? Am I the only, <laughs> am I the only, I don't even believe in the rapture, just in case you need something else to be offended by today. <laughs> But it's just it can be a very isolating place to live, just inherently. But like then we get to come together like this, and I want you to look around this room. No, like literally, look around the room. Not not me. Take one second look around the room, okay? For the purpose of, now look back up here. You guys are doing so good today. <laughs> this is like aerobics. Listen, you are not alone. You're not alone. You're not the only person struggling to cling to faith in Jesus. You're not the only one that's wrestling with that. You're not the only one trying to somehow follow him in this complicated, divisive, poisonous culture that we live in right now. You're not alone. You're not the only one. And I think we drastically underestimate the effect of coming in here on Sunday and just hearing and seeing other people that are trying to follow Jesus through this chaos with us. You're not alone. And what the enemy wants to do is to convince you that you are, because then you're vulnerable, your doubt will increase exponentially, and he can pick you off like a wolf does a sheep. we gather together weekly because it protects our faith. This is only one of many reasons why this matters. And so my hope, my invitation to you over these next few weeks is I just want to continue to invite you to order your life around Jesus which is very different than the way that the average American follows Jesus. I think that one of the absolute greatest threats to our faith, it's not politics, believe it or not. It's not any particular party being in the White House. It's not porn. It's not like whatever your thing is where you're like, this is the greatest threat to our faith. I can almost promise you it's none of those things. You know what the greatest threat to your faith is? Seeing Jesus as an accessory. That's the greatest threat. He's an accessory. He's like a watch. I don't even, I don't wear a watch. Mainly because I'm, I just don't. Someone asked me the other day, how come you hate Pants. I was like, I don't hate pants. I just find them constricting and uncomfortable. And but I'm, so I don't really wear a watch because I do find it kind of constricting. And uh, but a lot of people wear watches, and a watch is an accessory, right? And a lot of people have like a few different watches. Some days they wear it. Sometimes they don't. They've got three different watches, maybe that they choose from, and they might really like each of those watches. But it's just an accessory. And I, I think that's the way that the vast majority of Christians in our culture, follow him. He's an accessory. I take him where he is convenient, and I ignore him where he is not. I follow him when and where it's convenient, and I don't when it's not. He's just an accessory. And that is not what he invited us to. And that is the single greatest threat to our faith. We see him as an accessory rather than the center from which life flows and around which all of life revolves. And that's what I want to see him become in my life and see him become in yours. That he's not just an accessory, that he is the very center. And so what I can promise you is that a healthy, vibrant relationship with Jesus is going to take more than weekly worship, but it will not survive on less. So it's not like if you really want your life centered on Christ, just come to church every single week. I'm telling, it's going to take a lot more than that. It's going to take more time, effort, energy, inconvenience. This is why I'm not in sales. I'm not good at it. Following Jesus is not convenient. It is not easy. It is not always fun. It doesn't always feel awesome. But it's what we were made for. It's the only place that we experience true life. Nothing else delivers that. And so we have to determine whether or not we're going to make Jesus not just an accessory, but the very center of our lives. And it will require more than just this, but I'm telling you, it will never happen apart from less than this. And so let's make this what we do. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for the gift that coming together like this for worship really is. It's a, it's a privilege. It is a gift. It is a, a protective means that you have put in our lives so that we can be healthy and whole so that we can flourish in life the way that 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 you intend for us and i confess on our behalf lord we we don't value it. i don't value it the way that i should the way that this gift deserves to be valued but i want to and i believe we want to and so over these next few weeks that we have together lord i just pray that you would slowly raise the value that we place on this time. That like millions of disciples before us, this would become the very center of our relationship with you together. And that we would prioritize this time. And that all joking aside, we, we would be on time. That we would come alert and expectant, believing that you're going to work in a miraculous fashion that in some sense, when we gather together like this, we touch heaven in a very real way. And so Lord, I just pray that you would help us to see that and to believe that. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen.